What does it mean to be free? Revolutionary war hero Patrick Henry said, Give me liberty or give me death. Freedom was obviously important to him. Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Were Patrick Henry and Jesus speaking of the same freedom? If not, how are they different? Today, on Craving Answers, Craving God, let's talk about freedom. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, Patrick Henry longed to be free. Countless numbers of people who encountered Jesus longed to be free. Were they all looking for the same thing? I think they're all looking for the same thing. We're all looking to not be uh, oppressed. We're all looking to not be restricted to be able to make choices that we think are right, to be able to do what we think we need to do or what we want to do. I think we're all looking for those same things. Now, the freedom that, so uh, Patrick Henry and his lot are looking for freedom from oppressive political systems, freedom uh, fr- from uh, uh, a, a church state um, uh, that determines that who can worship how, freedom from not being taxed, when you're not being represented, all those things we learned about in elementary school. Um, Jesus is offering uh, a similar sort of freedom, but it's much deeper and much more primal. And uh, and I guess we'll talk about that as we go along here. And what's more important, uh, Jesus's quest for freedom is successful, where Patrick Henry's quest for freedom is unsuccessful. So Jesus actually offers true freedom and uh, kind of the uh, founding mythos of American history, which is, you know, we're all free and uh, the founding fathers fought for freedom and now we're free, actually hasn't really worked out. So uh, Jesus gives us freedom. Uh, Patrick Henry doesn't. I don't know. We're we're not saying that Patrick Henry was trying to give us freedom, but uh, the freedom he's looking for is not real freedom. So I'm confused by Patrick Henry's freedom has not worked out. I think I could make the argument that the country that came out of that quest, our country, the United States, uh, became an example of what turned out to be probably the freest country in the world. And all of human history is a catalog of one class oppressing another, basically the privileged class and the underclass, Um, certainly we have not achieved utopia, but we did achieve a certain level of freedom that had never been seen before. Is that not true? Uh, Well, so I don't know how high that bar is saying that we're the freest country of all. I don't know if that's the goal. The goal is freedom, not something that approaches freedom. And I don't talk to many Americans today. I mean, I know that we we all tell ourselves, you know, thank God that I'm an American, or at least I know I'm free. But most Americans I talk to today uh, don't necessarily feel free, or at least they're very, very worried that their freedoms are being encroached upon and taken away. Almost every American I, I talk to today is worried about oppression. They believe that if the other political side that they don't subscribe to gets to be in charge, which they're always on the, they either are, 
or they're on the edge of, that their freedoms are going to be taken away. I think we're all slaves to um, we're all slaves to uh, materialism on, on a more basic level in our country. This, so the freedom to buy things. Okay, I understand what that means. There's a certain sort of uh, slavery uh, in not being able to buy things you need. And what we've done is we've turned that into its own sort of slavery, the slavery to uh, purchasing things, to being very, very susceptible to advertising, to feeling like we have to own objects in order to be happy. Um, uh, and you know, if, if, if freedom is real, if freedom is real, it must entail the feeling that free that the feeling that one is free you know you can't say I, I i'm worried about losing my freedom that's actually not freedom if it's really freedom you would you would be free from that worry and um it, it was so it was doomed to fail from the outset uh i guess i can uh get religious here for a second the, the american project was never ever going to make us free now i, I know like on a basic level I, i'm free to move across the country if I want to. I, so yeah, I'm, I'm more free than, than citizens in the Soviet Union were free. I'm free to worship at a church that I want to worship at. So there are other places, but it, at the end of the day, most Americans I talk to aren't content with just that. They, they want to be free from worry. Uh, they don't want to feel like they're slaves to um, any number of uh, uh, the, the, the medical industry, for instance. I was talking to a, a guy recently whose father they had great insurance. His father had cancer, and his father, um, so a friend of my son's actually, his father needed this one treatment to deal with the cancer as he had it, and the insurance company said, no, can't have that. Um, the cancer progressed. It spread throughout his body. January 1st, the insurance company calls up and says, okay, you can have that treatment now. It's too late. It was too, it did no good. The cancer had spread too far. Is, is that freedom? The guy is a prisoner to, you know, this medical system, this uh, medical care system that we have, and um, but but it was doomed. So, so it was doomed from the outset. It was doomed from the outset. Like I, I, this is what I was going to say a second ago. Is that as a Christian, it's clear the in, in the American founding documents that it wasn't going to work. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator. So this is a perfect, this, this is a, a deistic version of freedom. Deism is, deism is a belief in God, but a belief in a God who does not act or do anything in human history. He created the world and then he sits back and watches the world that he designed. He, he doesn't get involved. So people are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Okay, I agree with that. Where I disagree with that is that those are self-evident. That was where that was where that was the problem. Because by calling them self-evident, what you're saying is we don't need anybody to show us. We all agree that freedom is important. But that's not true. It's just not true throughout human history that freedom is self-evident. It's not. So many people, including super smart people and of course, lots of rich and powerful people like you mentioned in the opening chuck have said, freedom is for me, but if I'm going to be free, I'm going to have to lord it over this other group of people. And um, by saying that freedom is self-evident, what we said was, we don't need God. We can have freedom without God. Okay, so he created us to be free. We're endowed by our creator, et cetera, et cetera. 
but we don't need God to be free. And so we've come up with this project where humans, we can do freedom on our own. We can be logical and reasonable. And what we have is into the gap where God should have been saying, you are free because I've made you in my image and you all are going to give each other freedom. Into that gap, we've taken God out and we've replaced it with money, power, sex. And, and there's no there's no surprise that we all at least feel, many Americans feel like they're not free, period, full stop. The rest of us who would say we are free are really worried about whether that's going to last or not. You've you've communicated this in a way that makes me think that it's top of mind. I don't have a large sample size on this question, but it sounds like you've said something like every American I talk to is worried about uh, a future oppression of some kind, a loss of sure, freedom yeah. of some kind. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so it is top of mind. And if you ask somebody uh, if freedom is important to them, they're going to say yes. Yeah. What they mean by that, we're not sure until we ask, right. but it's important to them. So then comes Paul in Galatians chapter 5, and he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Right. Yay. But I don't know what that means. Can you uh, put that into context and explain how that fits into this conversation? Yeah, I think that actually Christianity is positioned to offer this in ways right now that are unique to our moment as Americans. Because what Paul is saying is in that whole section, you know, so freedom is uh, in that section in Galatians 4 and 5, what Paul is talking about is freedom from fake identities. So the the, the Christians that Paul is writing to 2,000 years ago are tempted to build their identity around cultural ethnic symbols and praxis like circumcision and things like that, things that they can do or what the, the kind of food they eat, that sort of thing, or what day they worship on, things that they can say, okay, that's who I am. Now I've established my identity because I have these symbols which prove to me it's something about myself that I can look at and say, you are free. And Paul is saying you're actually not free because your freedom is you actually are the problem. We humans are the problem of freedom, of slavery. We, we have allowed ourselves to be enslaved. We enslave ourselves. As harsh as, uh, as harsh as political oppression can be, what's worse is the oppression of being addicted to drugs or to pornography or being addicted to anger to have anger management. These are the kinds of slaveries that are buried deep within ourselves. And why I say that we're kind of in a moment right now in American culture where the church has something to say which might be heard more clearly than it would have been in generations past is that when I was a kid, the question of oppression and freedom was something that was out there. When we were worried about losing our freedoms, when I was a kid, we were worried about, we, when you talk to people about losing their freedoms, it was a communism thing. It was a Cold War thing. It was a Soviet-Russia thing. And I think that now when you talk to Americans about losing their freedoms, it's my fellow Americans are trying to take my freedom away from me. And the enemy is getting closer and closer to home. And I think that we're just a few, few steps, maybe a few small steps, if we can just get there to saying that actually, I don't need to worry about the Republicans or the Democrats. I know I don't need to worry about Soviet Russia anymore. Uh, it's not, and, and also now... I've been worried about the Republicans and the Democrats. Now, actually, what I need to worry about is me. I'm the problem. I'm the one who allows myself to be enslaved. 
I'm the one who set myself up as the God, the ideal, and now I'm enslaved to my own desires or my own will or my own passions. Is it worse than that? Is it worse than allowing myself to be enslaved? Is it true that that's my natural condition? I don't really have to think that hard about whether I'm allowing myself to be enslaved. I'm enslaved. Well, yeah, it's a both and. It's it's a both and, you know? It is what we humans are susceptible to. We are, it's, it's programmed in us to follow our own hearts, to do what we want. And now the choices that we make reflect those. The choices that we make say, um, I choose, uh, you know, I choose power over responsibility. I choose money over, uh, caring for property. I choose sex over relationship. I choose pleasure over service. We, we make these choices and we demand that others fall in line with these choices. And, and, and when we find ourselves enslaved, I think that, I mean, that's bad news, of course, uh, but the good news is that Jesus has made us for freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has made us free, that Christ has set us free. And that is on offer to us in ways that, you know, political philosophical liberalism, capital L liberalism, never could. The Enlightenment Project could never give us freedom because it insisted that freedom was self-evident, and it's not. It's a gift of God. So you've already mentioned this comparison. The Bible seems to regularly juxtapose the concept of freedom with slavery. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easier to answer a question about freedom when you think about its opposite, which is, is slavery. And the Bible does this in multiple places. So since most of us have never been slaves to anybody or any group, how are we to understand the Bible's concept of slavery? We don't have that experience. We have it in our history, yeah. but we don't have it in the present. Uh, well, so, yeah, it's different now, but it is still slavery. It's still slavery. So w- when the Bible talks about slavery, what it means is people who are owned by other people who are manipulating and using them for um Economic means, certainly. Also, for uh, uh, in the Roman Empire especially, slaves were owned for sexual purposes uh, by uh, wealthy, free Romans. Um, you know, so if you go back to the earliest, kind of the earliest big story of slavery in the Bible, um, it's the, um, the ethnic Israelites who are enslaved to Egypt. And they're enslaved to Egypt so that Egypt can manipulate them for economic gain. And that's what their overlords always tell them. You're too lazy. Get back to work. Um, uh, you know, we're going to make this hard on you. We, you know, your job is to produce uh, construction equipment, construction materials. Uh, stop yapping and get back to work. Stop asking for freedom and get back to work. Um, you know, so we can say, well, that's not me. I don't. I've never experienced that kind of slavery. Uh, I've never been owned by somebody else who insisted that I get back to work. That's my job, to quit asking for things. <laughs> you know, and then the New Testament comes along and says, well, actually, you all, all are slaves. And I say, well, no, that's not true. Uh, well, let me ask the listeners, have you ever been owned by somebody who insisted that you get back to work, that your job was to make money, to stop asking for things, to stop looking for easier ways out, to just buckle down and do what you're supposed to do? Well, of course, Almost all of our listeners, at least those who are older than 18, have belonged to a company or a business that has basically said, without saying, because you can't get away with saying this out loud in our culture, because we still, the myth of self-evident liberties still floats around out there somewhere. But, you know, it's kind of echoing in our minds and the patriotic songs that we sing and the fireworks that we watch and, 
and all that, and and the the the, the founding stories we tell our, our kids in school, and that we still all remember. But actually, that that a system, an economic system, would view me as a means of production, and my entire value would be to go to work to make money for shareholders or for co- for for uh, you know the boss or whoever it is. That's that's clearly the position that we're in. But we're telling ourselves that we're free because I make money and I can like save and go on vacation this year and I can live wherever I can choose whatever car I want to buy and I can choose do I want to go to Burger King or Taco Bell to eat tonight. And so we keep on telling ourselves we're free, but we actually aren't. We're slaves. And it's not just here's 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 Jesus's point. It's not just the boogeyman that we're slaves to. It's not just, you know, the corporate shareholder. It's not just uh, it's not just the office in um, you know in Charlotte, North Carolina, that sends directives to our place of employment or wherever it is that your corporate offices are at. It's not just the boss man that's enslaved us. It's us. It's our desire for money and things. It's our desire to to be manipulated in order to get a certain taste of a certain cheap sort of freedom that we all think that we need. That's enslaved us. We desire to be manipulated. At the end of the day, we would prefer we would prefer this sort of slavery. I, I I talk to so many people. I've talked to people who have drug problems. I talk to people who are addicted to porn, and they all hate it. I talk to people who are at jobs they hate, and they hate it. They don't. But what do I do? This is my job. I, I want to stop. And, and, and for, for the purposes of discussion, I know that these are three separate things. I'm going to put them into the same category of slavery. Just so we can understand exactly what's at play here, I am not saying that using drugs is the same thing as going to work. Nobody hear what I'm not saying. But when people who are when people who say to me, "I hate my job, I hate it, but I don't have any choice. I have to go to work," um, you, you know, I, I uh, could you take a lesser job somewhere? Well, I can't afford to take less. I can't. I, this is the you know basically what it comes down to is this is the standard of living that we're accustomed to now. I have to maintain this. People who look at porn and are addicted to it will say the same thing. I hate it. I hate myself when I do it, but I just, I have to do it. People who use drugs, the same stuff. I keep on telling myself over and over, I'm not going to do that anymore. We're addicted to slavery? We are addicted to slavery. We're addicted to slavery because it promises a certain sort of freedom. It promises, you know, uh, uh, relief from bad memories or a, a momentary physical pleasure. It promises sexual satisfaction. It promises financial satisfaction. And so we, we are willingly complicit with it. And what Jesus wants us to do is to say, I can free you from that. I can free you from that. I can take your desires from being where they are now and to give you freedom from those desires which have enslaved you to a system which is willing to enslave you. I can make you free. Jesus, I'm sorry, John quotes Jesus in his gospel. Jesus says, truly, truly, anytime you see that truly, truly, it's kind of like pay attention. He's now. trying to get your attention. Yeah, yeah, this is the time to really pay attention. Yeah. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Okay, I think we've pretty much yeah demonstrated that in our conversation so far. So then the remedy would be to stop practicing sin, and then you will have freedom. Now, some of us would say, "Well, that's not doable. That's not possible." But more than a few of us are engaged in that pursuit right now. We're trying to sin less every day, being better and better as the time goes on, in pursuit of that day when we will reach sinlessness, and then we'll be free. We call this legalism, 
Do you see this? Do you encounter this as you have mentioned the other slaveries that you've encountered? Yeah, sure. I mean, you can't, like we, like we talked about earlier, this is actually built into who we are now, not because God made us this way, but because we rebelled against God and we became this way. We call it fallen. We call it original sin. We call it brokenness. Um, we call it depravity. You can't actually stop sinning. You can't actually stop being a slave. One of the best examples, because people actually get this, is you know you talk to somebody who's kind of a, a, a you know lazy, kind of addicted to a bad lifestyle. People don't think of it as an addiction, by the way, too, but, but it actually is. Being sedentary, eating poor food. Uh, just being kind of careless about how you, tr- you know, the kind of stuff you stick into your body. And um, so people don't like that anymore. They feel trapped by it. They don't have the quality of life that they want. They're slaves to poor health. They can't, uh, they, they, they can't be active with, when their friends or their kids or their grandkids are active. They can't participate. They feel sluggish. They feel tired. So what do they do? They trade that slavery to another sort of slavery, the slavery of getting up and going to the gym every day the slavery of eating food they don't like. And this is a good example of the position we as humans find ourselves in, is that outside of God, outside of Jesus, all that's all that's there for us is committing to something which is going to control us, that promises us that it can make us happy, but it can't. Well, sometimes we call that discipline. If I'm sedentary and my health is suffering because I'm eating bad foods and I don't move ever, if I go to the gym and sign up for a weekly exercise, I would be disciplining myself against that other negative thing. And I would think you would pat me on the back for that. Sure. I'll pat you on the back. It's definitely better to be, I think it's physically, probably psychologically uh, better to be uh, uh, addicted to a, a slave to working out than it is a slave to chocolate. That's probably true. That's probably the case on a certain level, but it's still slavery. It's still slavery. And you use the word discipline. This is the word that slave masters use when they're correcting slaves, is discipline. And um, it doesn't change the fact that it still owns you. It's also a word we use in the church when somebody uh, has abandoned their commitment to uh, worshiping with their fellow Christians, doing the things that go along with being a member of a church. I've heard the term church discipline. Is that a slavery? Yeah, um, well, I wouldn't use it as uh, slavery in that case because we're not using it in the sense that we own them. Usually when you talk about church discipline, you're talking about the willingness to let somebody walk away from the church because they don't want to be there, to actually gently correct them and invite them back into the full life of the church, but willingness to let them walk. It's not an ownership of them, but it is, This is maybe we'll get to this later too, it is calling them to a different sort of slavery. Yes, you're going to be a slave of something. You're going to be owned by something. This is the point. It's impossible to be free. You're going to be owned by something. If you are owned by God, if you are a slave of God, you will find true ultimate freedom. If you are a slave of the gym, you will find a certain sort of physical freedom, the, you know, the ability to hike or to jog or to play with the grandkids. You'll lose another sort of freedom, though, which is the freedom of being able to sleep in in the mornings and not go to the gym, the freedom to eat chocolate. Uh, it's the same thing. If, if if a guy tells me, I hate my job, I don't know what to do, and I say, well, have you thought about taking, uh, uh, you know, stepping down in the company, stepping down out of an administrative position and going back to working on the line where you were happier, but you made less money? I can't do that. I can't do that, he says. I, this is, 
It would be hard to step back from this standard of living. Okay, I get that. Well, then your choice is to be a slave to your company and to hate yourself or to be a slave to poverty or less money and hate yourself in a different way. And what God offers us is slavery to himself. The payout of that is everybody hates this. We modern people hate the notion of we'd rather be slaves to the gem than slaves to God. But the payout is ultimate, infinite freedom. Well, here's where it gets kind of tricky. You just use the phrase slaves to God. Paul writes in Romans 6, quote, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, wait for it, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, that's that doesn't get me where I want to get. Right. We're talking about yeah. freedom. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want you to open the door of freedom and say, "Chuck, here it is. Come into the freedom room and yeah. I find out I'm a slave to righteousness." Yeah. Well, how does that work? Right. Yeah. So, first of all, righteousness there is just in in, in Romans 6, righteousness is shorthand for God. It's shorthand That's for worse. being a slave to God. Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to make it better. I'm just trying to explain what Paul means there. Uh, this is just a fact. Again, you are going to be slaves to something. Uh, you know, Bob Dylan said it in his one of his uh, uh, Christian records. You got to serve must somebody. Must begin to be an old timer. That's that goes back uh, a, f- a few decades. I think I was a, a, a very very small child when Bob <laughs> Dylan was making his Christian records. You uh, got to serve somebody. I remember that record. Yeah, um, and it's true. You have to serve somebody. You are going to be slaves to something if you want freedom. You have to submit to slavery. All right. Now, as we've been oh, ta- boy. we've been bashing slavery this whole time, but what I haven't said is that it does offer a certain sort of freedom. By being slaves to the economic system, we have the freedom to buy brand name Fruit Loops instead of the off-brand at Aldi. That's a freedom, right? You know, the freedom to go uh, on a nice place on vacation, to fly to vacation instead of taking the road trip to somewhere in Arkansas on vacation. There's a certain sort of freedom that you get. If you want the freedom to go to, to, to fly to Southern California on vacation, you're going to have to submit to the slavery of working for the man. It's, and this is the way slavery always is and freedom always is. If I want, I, I tell, the, tell my congregation this frequently when we talk about this topic. If I want the freedom, you know, so, so you walk down the street in a city and you see somebody busking, you know, a violinist and they're just playing beautifully or you listen to Itzhak Perlman play. And you think, it must be amazing just to pick up the violin and to make that kind of music out of the violin. I wish I had the freedom to do that. Well, you know how Itzhak Perlman got the freedom to do that? He got the freedom to do that by submitting to the slavery of hours and hours and hours and hours of practice. Hours of practice. The slavery of not being able to go and hang out with his friends on the weekends. The slavery of having to get up early before school to do scales. The slavery of having to go to rehearsals while the rest of his friends were going to parties. And what he gets is the freedom. And so what we mean when we say, I want freedom, I just want freedom. I'm an American. I want freedom is I want the freedom to be able to do what I want, to sleep in, to be lazy. And I want the freedom at the same time to fly to Southern California on vacation, to play concert violin, and to make decisions about who my friends are going to be. And it just doesn't work like that. If I want the freedom of having people who love me in my life that I can talk to and I can be known by them. I'm going to have to submit to the slavery of being involved in a relationship with them that, that, that includes me giving up part of my life to them, giving my attention to them, giving my hours and my time to them. It's just the way it works. 
And what, what the Bible is saying is, is if you want freedom, you can, go, you can go get a cheap sort of freedom, the travel to Southern California freedom. You can get that by submitting to other various types of slaveries out there. You can be a slave to sex, to money, to power, to individualism, and they will offer you little tiny taste of freedom, which you are welcome to enjoy. But what you won't get is the ultimate freedom of being free from the slavery to yourself. That can only happen by submitting to slavery to God. And what, this is, So I want to say two things here. The first thing is, is when we submit to the slavery to God that Paul is talking about, we actually find ourselves liberated from ourselves liberated from systems which claim to be God, political systems, economic systems, social systems, cultural systems, which claim to have God-like power to make us happy, to fulfill us, to save us, if we want to use religious languages, language. We're free from slavery to those systems which can never pay out, and we're actually given the freedom from ourselves to be able to sit loose to our own desires, to be able to make choices that reflect who God created us to be and not who somebody else wants us to be, who our own dark selves want us to be. But the second thing is this. That slavery is not actually the end of the story. So in Romans 6, Paul talks about being slaves to God. But if you keep on reading into Romans 8, he says something quite wonderful. He transitions us from thinking about this preliminary step. And the reason why is because for those of you who aren't Christians or you're kind of sitting on the fence about Christianity, when you're offered slavery to God, you're like, no, that's what I don't want. I'd rather be slaves to drugs than slaves to God. But he's saying here, if you become my slave, I can make you free. And if you will just buy into that, to submission to Jesus Christ, what you'll find out in Romans 8, just two chapters later, is that what's actually offered is this. Paul says in Romans 8, God has not given you the spirit of fear to slavery, but he's given you the spirit of adoption as children, by which you can cry out, Abba, Father. So Abba is a, a, um, an Aramaic word, which just is like a familiar name for dad, for father. My, it's, it's my father. He's mine. He belongs to me and he loves me. And what, and what Paul is saying is, is that if you will just allow yourself to say, okay, I would prefer to be a slave to God instead of a slave to myself. I'd prefer to be a slave to God instead of the economic system or American political philosophy or uh, the, the Enlightenment project, that what you would find at the end of the day is that God doesn't really want slaves. What he wants is daughters and sons. And that's what you would find yourself as. You would find yourself as an heir of the whole estate. You would find yourself as someone for whom the whole universe rightly belongs and will belong to you you will find ultimately true freedom in Jesus. In Romans 6, Paul says, and I'm quoting, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Well, yes, I'm committed to the notion that I, I want eternal life. And I understand that sanctification is a gift and is a good thing. Up until now, I never realized that slavery to God was the door I had to go through in order to get to those things. Um, and you just sort of alluded to the fact that there's probably at least one person listening to us who's listening to this and saying, this is just going nowhere. I, I'm sorry. Nice try, Pastor. Good old college try there. But if you want me to embrace slavery to God in order to realize these benefits, I'm out. I'm done. 
and the conversation feels like it's over, what do you do then? I would just say that's that's really that's that's your own personal choice, and there's nothing I can do about that. Free to make that choice. You're free to make that choice. That's right. You're free to not practice the violin, but don't complain when you can't play the violin. You're free to not practice tennis, but don't complain when you get beat in two sets. You're free to not be friendly. You are free to not give your time and your energy and your love and and actually submit to the authority of a group of friends. But don't complain when you're lonely and you're by no, yourself. I'm going to complain. Well, okay, so, so go ahead. You can complain. But you and I will both know the reason why is, is because you did not submit to the slavery of practicing the violin. You did not submit to the slavery of committing yourself to a group of friends who can embrace you. If you want freedom, if you want the eternal life that's offered you by God, you have to submit to God. That's just the way the entire world works. You, it's, it's, it's just the way it works. And I know it doesn't sound like I, I look, I've got kids who I have forced to practice musical instruments. I, I know what it's like for them to say, this is horrible. I hate this. This is miserable. Of course they do. Of course it's miserable to, to submit to the discipline of practice, to the slavery of practicing your cello or practicing your clarinet. But what I found is that when they get older, my son just now, my son bucked against playing the cello his whole life. And now, he's really? in high school now. He seems like such a compliant cello player to me. He is not compliant about anything. <laughs> now that he's older and he's gotten quite good at it, he has started to play in a local community orchestra, and he's actually loving it. He's making friends. Uh, it's a gateway to uh, psychological satisfaction, to social interaction. And the reason why is because he submitted to the authority of the cello. And now he's free to do all these things in the realm of the cello. And I would just say, look, if you step away from this, if you step away from slavery to God because you're scared of being a slave to God, you're just going to be a slave of something else. And you have to ask yourself the question, what's the payout? What do you get by submitting to that slavery? What's being offered to you by God is um, eternal life, which you just mentioned, and, and more than that, absolute freedom. He promises freedom. Christ has made you free for freedom. And sonship, adoption, owners of the universe, to be a daughter and son of the most powerful being in the entire universe, the creator God who loves you in Jesus Christ. That's what's being offered. And to frame it like that, if somebody says to me, nope, that's not for me, all I can do is just say, okay, you know, and pray that they would see that the slavery that they're enslaved to now is not making them happy. So finally, I do detect a difference. Correct me as soon as I go in the ditch here. I do detect a difference between the slaveries that you've described to money and drugs and all of these destructive things and slavery to God. Uh, Luke 22, Jesus says to his followers, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. Well, that's those are the slaveholders. Those are the people who enslave others. And then Jesus says, but not so with you. So slavery to God, I think, means that when you become a slave to God, Instead of lording whatever you have over others, you take a, an inferior position. 
you serve them rather than rule them. And I think that's pretty clear there. Does this scripture work? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to kind of wrap this up too. So, you know, Paul's encouraging us to find freedom in slavery to God. Once you come to know God, once you come to know God, not generic God, but God as he is in Jesus Christ, uh, the God of the Bible, the creator God of the Bible in Jesus Christ, what you'll see is that slavery to him is a different kind of slavery because you are not subservient. I mean, of course, he's the creator God. So, of course, we're, we're ontologically below him. Just, just by definition, he is almighty and supreme and infinite, and we are limited and weak and bound because we're created and he's the creator. But once you get to know him, what you'll find out is that he's done something incredible, the plot twist of all plot twists, that the king of the universe, the master, if you want to use the slavery language, the master of the universe actually became a human being in order to become a slave himself, a slave to us and to our needs. So Jesus insists on Mark chapter 10, and I think this is probably actually the theme verse of our podcast because I bet I've quoted this 15 times in here. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The God who we are so scared of being our master, we do not want to be his slave. When we come to that God in Jesus Christ, what we'll find is, is that he's actually serving us. He's actually here to better us to make much of us, to build us up in himself in order that he gets glory, in order that his name be magnified, in order that his lordship of the universe be made clear, yes, but he does that by becoming a human, dying on the cross, and rising from the dead in order to serve us, to serve us so that we can be free. And that's our conversation today on freedom. If you're craving real freedom or craving answers or craving God, We sincerely hope that our podcast has helped you in your journey. The gospel truth is that freedom, like forgiveness and salvation, is a gift from Almighty God in Jesus Christ. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Pastor Aaron Miller and Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rather.